everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mindset to Mastery, the podcast. I am your host, Keisha A. Rivers, President and Chief Outcome Facilitator of the CARS Group, where we facilitate outcome by equipping people to manage change. I am joined today by Mark Crowley, and we are going to be talking about um, the heart of leadership. And thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show, Mark. Welcome. Thank you, Keisha. My pleasure. Well, I, I, I talk a lot about leadership and engagement and learning and, um, and helping people to kind of shift their mindset to master their success. And I thought it was so interesting um, as I've been following you on Twitter and, and watching the, the, reading the things that you're posting, this whole notion of heart, the heart of leadership. Um, what, according to your definition, what would you describe that as being? Well, it's a very good question, actually. And I think what happens, just to answer your question indirectly, is that we have a lot of associations with the word heart and in business, not very good ones. We tend to think anything related to the heart is soft and weak and you don't bring the heart into business because you don't want to get connected to people. People are messy. You don't want to have to deal with that. You get paid to do your job. And if you do your job, you'll get some rewards. And if you don't, then out the door you go. And that's sort of the, the that's the relationship that we have employer to employee. Um, but what I'm really saying is, and, and this sort of transcends any metaphorical understanding of the heart. So um, any idea of the heart being, you know, sort of the, the love source of of humanity there's truth in that but really what i'm saying is is that the heart and the mind are actually connected in terms of influencing how human beings make their choices and decisions for centuries we believe that the heart was just a pump magnificent blood pump that you know basically keeps us alive and pumps 60 70 times a, a, a minute every day um all day every day of the year for our entire lives and that's a pretty magnificent organ. But what we've now discovered is two things. One is that the heart and mind are connected in terms of communication, so that the heart is sending more signals to the mind than the other way around. And those signals have an influence on what we decide to do. So the bottom line is, is that feelings and emotions drive human behavior. We pride ourselves and we say, I think, therefore I am. We pride ourselves on being rational human beings. But it, the truth is, we're, we're driven by emotions and feelings all day long, and we don't realize it. Even people who think they're incredibly rational, and I think through every decision I make, they don't realize that our emotions are, are really having an impact. So as a result of that, what I'm saying is, is don't get caught up in the, the, the um, you know, you know the, the whatever ideas you have of what the heart means. I'm saying specifically that if you look at the heart and the mind and you understand that feelings and emotions are driving our behavior, then we should be thinking about what are the, are the experiences that we should be giving people who work for us that will ensure that they have the right emotions going through that influence them to do the behaviors that we want them to do which is to be engaged, to be committed, to you know, give discretionary effort, to be loyal. Um, all of those things really boil down to having a source in how leaders and managers make people feel. You know, I, I think it's amazing that you, you make that connection between feelings and emotions because so often, more often than not, I'll say, 
more, most people try to say, you know, like you said, it's not about emotions. It's not about feelings. I'm very rational. Um, you know, it, you know, it, it kind of brings me back to the, the famous quote by Tom Hanks in a league of their own. There's no crying in baseball type of thing. Um, and I, I find it interesting that you talk about having leaders and managers think about what experiences we need to create in order to cultivate certain emotions and feelings. I don't think anybody's ever phrased it quite that way as your work being an experience. So have you found that most leaders are receptive to that type of message? Um, that's a very good question too, because there's a lot of resistance to it. Um, I paid a woman $10,000, this is true, um, when my book was coming out. And my book, just to establish for your audience, is called Lead from the Heart, Transformational Leadership for the 21st Century. But we'll go to the beginning of it. It's called Lead from the Heart. So basically, I paid her literally $10,000. She was highly recommended by my speaking agent who said, you really, because I was coming out of a, out of a career where nobody knew who I was. So I wrote this book and had no following nobody knew who i was and so she was saying that you really need to have somebody help strategize to help you get your message out so i wrote her the check for ten thousand dollars and she came back and she said to me she goes i have two pieces of advice for you basically two strategies we'll call them strategy a and strategy b and strategy a is really what i want you to believe in and follow and strategy b is just the backup plan b if you will and I said, all right, I got it. So give me plan A, tell me what it is that, and she said, you're not gonna like it, but it's what you need to do. And uh, I won't use her real language, your audience can fill in the blanks here, but she literally said to me, okay, plan A is you will effing fail if you continue to use the expression lead from the heart. Oh, and, wow. Uh, it was stunning, right? I mean, truly stunning. And I, of course, asked her, did you cash that check yet? And, uh, <laughs> right? I'm not kidding. And, but what I realized, Keisha, was that what she was trying to tell me was, you're going to be met with so much resistance to this. People are going to think this is complete bullshit and not appropriate, and they're just not going to take you seriously. And so I had to make a decision. I mean, the check was already written and cashed. So now I have to make the decision. Do I listen to the woman that I just paid all this money to? Um, and she was saying, you know, you should call it, stop using the word heart was really the guidance, you know, call it killer engagement and throw the heart in at the last minute. And I was like, well, wait a minute. This is not only inauthentic, it's just not true. Um, then in other words, I know that the other part of this is that it's important for you to know is that I've been leading this way my entire life, very, very successfully. Um, and, in, and in jobs, you know, with stockbrokers and loan officers and bank managers and people in, you know, really aggressive sales cultures. And the more I cared about them and supported them and gave them, you know, experiences that led to positive emotions, the better these people performed, the more loyal they were, the more promotions I got. So it, I, I already knew going into this that it was the truth. But then when I found the science that validated it, that's emerging to show that I'm right. I'm confronted by a woman telling me, I don't care how right you are, you're going to fail if you continue to go out there with this message. And so I had to make a decision that, you know, I'm willing to take the punches. I'm willing to have people dismiss me. And so my strategy was to write articles so that people could read them and see, you know, first one you read, you go, 
oh, this guy's a nut, you know, he's got to be a spiritualist <laughs> or religious guy or somebody who doesn't get business. And then you read an article and I wrote, you know, 25 articles for Fast Company magazine. And after a few of them, people, they were all did really well and people were beginning to go, well, like, I guess he's not the crazy guy we think he is. Um, and then I started my own podcast just so that people could actually hear my voice and go, look, this guy's not insane. Um, and and ho hopefully, you know, wearing people down and convincing them in their own time, not in my time. I already know this is truth. I have to wait for people to meet me where I'm at. And the only way to do that is to continue to lay out the, the arguments and to give people data and understanding that makes it sort of irrefutable. And so now I'm seeing that we're reaching a tipping point. You know, people are using the word heart when, you know, when a few years ago when my book came out, no one was using the word heart. Now there's a lot of derivations. People are, are using it, um, heart-led leadership, lead from the core, you know, they're just sort of hitting up against, you know, this whole idea. And that just tells me that people are, are being persuaded that this is the right thing. I think where I differentiate is that I understand it so intimately because I've been managing this way my entire career and, and I've refined it. I have a deep, profound understanding of what are the moves that managers need to make authentically that lead people to feeling safe and supported and valued and cared for things that all historically have sounded really soft in management that just so happen to have the most profound impact on getting people engaged. And interesting, I'll, you know, and with this one point is that Gallup announced just this week that engagement, employee engagement in America reached an all-time high. So you think, oh, well, that's fantastic. Let's, you know, let's pop the champagne and high five everybody. And it's moved from like 28% to 35%. So oh, wow. we're, we're like making, that's, that's the best we can do, you know? And I'm like, keep the champagne. We're not, we're, we're nowhere near where we need to be. But the reason is, is because until we have the mindset that says we need to care more about people authentically, we're never going to get there because people are never getting the experience of the positive feelings and emotions that I'm talking about. And in the absence of that, you're never going to turn people on. And I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that there no has to be a right. <laughs> there has to be a mindset shift. And I love the way you make the connection between the heart and mind, because so often people believe, as you as you stated, if it's about heart, it's touchy feely. There's no rationalization going on. There's no rational thought. Um, you know, we're just kind of going helter skelter and being pulled by our emotions instead of understanding that the heart and the mind together is what creates this flow of, of, um, of consciousness that aligns certain experiences with certain emotions, which then create certain behaviors. And one thing that I have always talked about, especially now you, you hear a lot of people saying they want to be able to show up authentically and wholly and fully um, in, at work and uh, diversity and inclusion is talking about in, in diversity, inclusion and belonging and feeling as if you don't have to, you know, here's work, Keisha, today. Um, and then at five o'clock or six o'clock or, or whenever I leave the office, now I can go back to being my full self. Have you, do you believe that the reason this is kind of gaining momentum is because of this movement towards embracing more diversity and inclusion and belonging? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, actually, you know, to be fair, you can tell me whether or not you think it's having an impact. Um, as, as a person of color, you would probably have a greater uh, experience of whether or not that's authentic. Um, from my point of view, you know, we used to say, leave your troubles at the door, you know, so, you know, we're basically telling people like, we don't really want to care that you have children at home or elderly parent that you're caring for, or any of the, you know, kids that's struggling in school, we don't really care, you know, and so that's one component of this is of this this idea of bringing your whole self is to understand and, ex and finally accept that people can't, you know, wall off their lives for the 10 hours a day that they're at work and then go back to resuming that there has to be some willingness to allow people to deal with, you know, whatever's going on in their life. Um, but when it comes to diversity, you know, I think there's so much science that shows that the greater diversity the greater the experience of the team so that you actually do better. Um, people perform better because there's just a, you know, no pun intended, but there's a diversity of thinking people have different right. life experiences and they see the world differently. And so everybody's pushing against each other's ideas in a very positive way. And I think there's so much science that proves this, that there's an argument that if you don't have greater diversity, you're going to be competitively harmed. Right. So, I think that what companies are trying to do is to say, bring your whole self to work, which is to say, we, we want you to be who you are. We don't want you to feel that you have to diminish yourself in any way, shape or form. How well we execute that is not something I can answer. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't really know. We're very tribal people. We, you know, we, we tend to hire people like ourselves. We tend to like people like ourselves. And so, uh, you know, in my own personal experience, I think that uh, some people have a problem with diversity. And this isn't just, you know, this isn't just, uh, you know, a race issue. This is, this is how, you know, men wanting to have more women on their team, you know, it, the, the, that dimension as well. You know, it's, it's a challenge for some people. But just the idea that we're telling people that they can bring their whole selves to work if that's true, if companies truly honor that, we've made some pretty serious progress. Yeah, and that and the key to it is, of course, you know, walking the talk, <laughs> which right. is which is that that's where the rubber meets the road and where you have a little bit of, of issue. Um, and and there's one um, there's there's a, a a talk that I give and and um, a facilitated session that I I talk about where it's thinking more diversely about diversity. Because, and you hit the nail on the head, um, different experiences, different ways of thinking, different perceptions, different perspectives. And so often our notion of diversity is, oh, I have to have someone else that doesn't look like me. But even if you have people who are the same race or the same gender or who grew up in the same city or, 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 or state, you're going to get some differing perspectives based on their home experience and based on whether or not they've traveled and based on what they've read um, and based on, you know, their hobbies. And I think that if we can expand the notion of what it means to be diverse, um, I think that we will go a lot further in terms of being able to actually walk that talk. Um, and then additionally, one thing that I noticed is that when people start thinking more 
inclusively in terms of saying this person may may look exactly like me but may not think like me or this person may look differently than i do but we share our perspective i think that's when we start actually getting aligned to the point where we're able to start walking that talk because we have a greater understanding of it well i agree with you and um, there's a you know the there's an idea concept called psychological safety. Amy Edmondson at um, Harvard Business School is really pretty much the expert on it. And what it and and interestingly, Google did a five-year study of what are the behaviors or what are the common characteristics of all high-performing teams. So not 80%, but all. And they came up with five different components and principally the number one being the most essential is Amy Edmondson's work called psychological safety, which basically means that people feel safe speaking them, speaking their truth, that they can challenge whatever beliefs or ideas are being expressed without retaliation, without you know, being dismissed some, you know, that's stupid, or where'd you come up with that idea that people are so, you know, inherently respectful and are open to being influenced by alternative thoughts, something that they didn't come up with on their own or something that directly challenges it in a way where people don't look at, like, if you said something, well, I totally disagree with what you just said, Mark, and I think that's, you know, that, that, that's really wrong. Um, that's offensive, right? I mean, that's that's an, a way to offend without really saying, you know, I understand where you're coming from. I, I continue to disagree, you know, with, with what you're saying, but I appreciate where you're coming from. That That's a nuance that high-performing teams have where they can express themselves and they don't feel that, you know, somebody's going to judge them or, you know, shun them, keep them out of the team because they're expressing their opinions. And I think from a leadership standpoint, one of the most important things um, that I learned is that people who saw the world differently than I did, people who worked for me, who expressed that, um, ended up saving me many times because, you know, you, you come up with an idea and you think, okay, I want to execute that and you're ready to execute it. And you have somebody going, no, that's not going to work. And you, this is why it's not going to work. And why are you doing it that way? And you want to just go, shut up, you know, I'm ready to move on. And, but if you stop and you go, tell me more about what you're thinking. I don't know if you're going to have any influence on it, but I'm definitely open to hearing it. Um, mm -hmm. might, might make a slight alteration to how you implement it. It may not have any impact or it might stop you in your tracks and go, oh, like, you're right. You know, and this is, this takes a lot of self-security. You've got to be very self-secure in order to lead this way because, you know, you're basically asking people, challenge me, you know, give me alternative ways of looking at this. This is all part of that diversity you're talking about. So when you talk about, and, and, and I, I agree, it takes a, a certain type of person and a certain type of leader or manager to be open to saying, you know, challenge me. Um, because we all know those people who say it's my way or the highway and I know everything and you don't challenge me or question me. Um, because they, they see leadership in a completely different light than the person who does that. You know, more authoritar um, authoritative as opposed to someone who is inclusive and transformational. So 
I want to ask you, um, the title of your book, Leading, Leading from the Heart, Transformational Leadership in the 21st Century, why is it or what led you to um, focusing on the term transformational leadership? Well, because, it, and basically, I mean, if you realize, we, we don't lead this way. I mean, we don't, we, I mean, we, we don't really, we, we don't just not lead this way. We've been conditioned to believe that it's absolutely fatal to lead this way. We, we think that this is going to kill your career. The minute you start caring about people, they're going to get soft around the middle. They're going to take advantage of you. They're not going to hit your goals and you're going to be fired. You know, this is kind of what our belief is. So there's, Tremendous, there's, there's historically been tremendous resistance to this. Our traditional theory of leadership says, pay people as little as possible, squeeze as much out of them as possible. It doesn't say care about them, nurture them, love them. I mean, you know, so when people hear that, they go, well, that guy, like, that's insane, right? So the transformational side of this is to transform, fully transform our, our, our fundamental beliefs about what it is that really truly motivates and inspires human performance. And squeezing people and taking advantage of people might sound good from a profitability standpoint. The more that I have for me, the better off. So I'm going to exploit you and work you long hours and not give you big raises and try to not give you big bonuses and try to keep as much as the pie for me. Um, but in the end, uh, that's a fundamentally limiting approach because if you don't give people, human beings, employees, what they need in order to thrive, then they can't deliver everything that you expect them to. So the idea that we could take, take from people and take from people and that that's going to have the most positive outcome, that's an idea that needs to be fully transformed. Yeah, and, and I agree that this whole notion of, of transforming our belief system, um, and because, as you said, the way that we think, um, our feelings, our emotions, all of that drives our behavior. And I, I, you know, I think this notion is gradually taking hold a, a little bit, and, and I think most, a lot of it has to do with the fact that culturally, um, we're not the same generation as our parents and grandparents where they went to work, they put in all the hours, they, you know, they, they did what was asked of them. And then, you know, they gave all to the company and then they had little left for, to enjoy their own lives um, or to feel as if they could be fully, they could fully express who they are at work. Um, I think that, and, and one thing that you, you talk a lot about is the science behind this. And I'd be interested to know, because of course, we can all have our opinion, but when you start talking about the science, um, talk a little bit about your study and, and how you have, what you've discovered um, in terms of what methodology you've used, what kinds of, of studies have you, you know, researched that you've done that kind of supports this whole notion of I mean, there's, 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 there's really a lot of it, and um, we don't have time, obviously, to go through every bit of it, um, but there's, uh, there is a, a gentleman named Antonio Damasio, who was at the Salk Institute for many years, and I think he's now uh, principally at University of Southern California as a professor, but he is one of the great researchers on this, and he's coming at it interestingly from the brain's point of view, not the heart, and has shown that 
um, that feelings and emotions have a uh, profound impact on how human beings think and act, which of course is my thesis. Um, but there's another institute, um, there's another institution that um, has been studying the, the heart, the heart's intelligence for the last 30 years. And I was introduced to this. I, in, in the process of writing my book, um, I had somebody say to me, you know, what, what's the title of your book? And they hadn't really come up with it yet. And he was saying, well, what's the impact? Like, what do you think your, your leadership did to people? And that hit me. I was like, oh, well, I was affecting the hearts of people. And then I realized, oh, man, like, I've wasted my whole life here because people are just going to think that's the stupidest thing ever based on coming out of a corporate environment where, you know, people hear that word heart and they immediately dismiss you. So I, I, went, I literally told my wife, I said, well, I wasted probably 10 months of my life working on this book because now that I know what it should be called, I know that I'm going to be, you know, basically laughed out of the room. And she said very quickly, she goes, well, don't you already know that it works? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I proved it over a 25 year career and I refined it. And so she said, well, then you ought to go look and see if you can find validation for it, because if you already know it's true, there's got to be some proof. And so she saved my life because I could have quit right then and there based on my experience in corporate in business. Um, and in fact, when my book came out, there were people that, you know, I was, I was a senior vice president in one of the largest financial institutions in the United States. I had two national level positions. I was named leader of the year and my book came out and there were people I know when they heard it, they were like, cause I was gone for a couple of years, it took me two years to, from the time that I started to, to, to write it and research it to the time that it was published. It was a two year process. And when the book came out, there were people like, what happened to Mark? Like, you know, wow. Like, you, know, <laughs> you know, and because they never really looked under the hood. They never really digested what I've been doing all along. Right. So um, getting back to your question. So I reached out to a world-class cardiologist and basically said, this is my thesis. I think that everything that I was doing through the course of my career was affecting the hearts of people. And um, even though that's been widely dismissed in business, is there any scientific proof that I could be doing that? Like, could I have been influencing hearts? Uh, was that a metaphor? Was that unrealistic? Is the heart just a pump and you've got, you're, you're, out, you're out of your mind? And uh, so she reached out to me and she's, she had just written her own book. And uh, so she's a cardio surgeon, you know, done heart transplants and all that kind of work and graduated top of her class from her medical school. And she goes, Mr. Crowley, you're figuring out something we're just figuring out in science. And I want to introduce you to an organization that's really doing this research. And this, by the way, is in my book and what justified, A, me calling it Lead from the Heart, and B, me not changing it when the woman that I paid all that money to told me I was going to fail. And so it's called the Institute of Heart Math, and they have been studying the intelligence of the heart for the past 30 years. And they're the ones that have really sort of, and not through their own research, but they have been the conduit for their own and for others, other research, that, which basically shows that the heart and the mind are actually connected through the vagus nerve and that the heart is sending signals to the, to the brain about how it's feeling at any one given time and that the brain is making decisions. 
So for example, if you have a boss who comes into you and says, good morning, Mark, you know, how are you? Um, I just want to tell you, I, I, I think the work you've been doing is fantastic. And I'm just really great. You're, you're happy you're on my team and just want you to know how much I appreciate you. That's creating a positive emotion that the heart feels and the heart sends that communication. Just got, just got positive emotions from my boss and the brain is making the interpretation. Well, then this is good. So let's commit to work. Let's do more. Right. Let's get more of that feeling. And it's all, of course, you know, under the hood. We don't, none of us are ever, ever conscious of that, but that's really what's happening. That is, that's awesome. And I, I, we're, we're out of time, <laughs> which always happens when the, when the conversations are getting really great. So before we wrap up, um, can you let people know how they can get in touch with you um, and where they can find your book? And, um, and what do you have coming up next? Um, well, I, um, I have my own podcast and uh, I'll, I'll point out that the reason, so everything is, if you want to reach me, it's markccrowley.com and I'm on Twitter. I'm at Mark C. Crowley on LinkedIn. I'm Mark C. Crowley. So um, if you remember that, and if you forget anything, you know, forget all that. I can also be reached at leadfromtheheart.com. The book is called Lead From The Heart and you can find it on Amazon. Um, but what's coming up is I have, I started a podcast, Keisha, simply so that people could hear the different ways that researchers are validating this message. And so I've done 40 episodes so far. It has an audience now in 134 different countries. And so what that tells me is that people are really responding to this and they're looking for, show me that I can lead like this. Give me the proof that this works. Tell me I'm not going to fail if I do this. And I've had world-class people on the podcast, people from Harvard Business School, Stanford Business School, Stanford Medical School, Tom Peters, one of the great leadership greats, people like that, that are coming at this fully knowing what the theme of the podcast is and offering their own form of validation for it. So I've really committed to doing that so that the message can get out and start to really have the impact that I'm hoping to have. Well, awesome. I am so glad that you took the time to come on our podcast and to share. Um, and for those of you who are listening, um, when you go to my website at carsgroup.com, that's K-A-R-S group.com, there, uh, click on podcast, and there will be a link to this episode as well as a page that has all of Mark's contact information um, and how you can listen to his podcast and, and be able to um, get some strategies and tips and validation that this method is the way to go when it comes to um, impacting your teams and transforming your organizations. Um, thank you so much, Mark, for joining us. I, I, I appreciate you taking the time and, and I loved having you on the show. This conversation is great. Um, so for everyone else out there, um, don't forget to tune in to us every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern time, where we are going to bring you tips, strategies, information, and insights that will help you to change your mindset and master your success. I'm your host, Keisha A. Rivers, President and Chief Outcome Facilitator of the Cars Group, and you have been listening to the Mindset to Mastery podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in, and as always, make it a great one. <laughs>